And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Michael Beller here with you. It is Thursday, April 21st as we head toward the uh, end of the, uh, about the end of the first month. I guess, you know, it's April, so it always feels like the first month of the baseball season, but really only two weeks into the season with the way it started. I'm still going to call this just about the start of the home stretch of the end of the first month of the 2022 MLB season. It's Thursday, so that means me and Al Melchior are bringing you this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball baseball podcast al what's going on man uh not too much just uh yeah rolling into the end of the week here researching waiver options working on that column uh you know good times yeah absolutely good times and a nice full weekend of baseball ahead of us this thursday we always bring you guests on thursday and this thursday in particular we are proud to be able to bring you a couple of our great athletic beat writers to provide some provide some on the ground knowledge about their teams and we can then translate that into some fantasy advice. So we're going to start out in St. Louis today with Katie Wu, our Cardinals beat writer. Katie, thanks for joining us. How are you? Gentlemen, nice to hear from you. I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, these Cardinals uh, giving us plenty to talk about in the fantasy world early on in the season. A team that, you know, we sort of felt like we had a handle on a, a good amount of their players coming into the year. And, and so it's been fun to see a, a few new things from this team, one of which being a little bit of a, a power surge from Tommy Edmond. Can you tell us where that has come from and how much we should be buying into it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the Cardinals going into spring training had a pretty solid plan for Tommy Edmond, whose spring numbers weren't weren't very great, right? But that's the beauty of spring numbers is in the grand scheme of things. They hardly matter. Uh, Tommy Edmond came into the into the 2022 season with a focus on more power, but he specified to me the other day that it's not about home runs. When he's focusing on power, he's not trying to hit a home run. Of course, he'll welcome that result. He's more trying to hit the ball hard, gap to gap, and he's trying to go for more doubles, actually. So it's less of a power surge and more of Tommy just kind of tapping into to his swing, to his body type, and generating more power um, that he doesn't expect to translate into as many home runs as he's had this early on this season, but he does hope will translate to more doubles. So certainly been exciting. I know it's very difficult and very different in the National League to become accustomed to a, a nine-hitter that's not a pitcher. Um, but with Tommy Edmond, you are getting essentially a double leadoff that has power, speed, and great contact rate. So he's kind of a, a unicorn of sorts in this early new brand of National League Baseball that we're seeing. Yeah, well, we talked about Edmund quite a lot towards the end of spring training for all the reasons that, that you brought up, Katie, that uh, we foresaw he'd be batting lower in the order. Uh, we talked about how maybe he was being overdrafted in fantasy because he has that stolen base appeal, but we didn't anticipate this power. So I, I wish he had clued, clued us in on this new mm -hmm. approach uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but another player I want to talk about with the 
a role that a lot of us didn't foresee is Jordan Hicks. In fact, uh, so we're talking here on Thursday. Uh, on Thursday night, he will making he will be making his first major league start uh, at Miami. So, what is the plan for Hicks? How gradually are his innings going to be uh, built up, and is there going to be an innings limit? That's a really good, a couple of really good questions. And I think with Jordan Hicks, he presents a really interesting opportunity, definitely from a fantasy perspective, and that he will be used as a starting pitcher. Cardinals manager Ali Marmel has been adamant that they are bringing Jordan up as a full-time starter, not a spot starter, not an opener, not a piggyback option, especially with Jack Flaherty out indefinitely. Jordan Hicks will be a starter. However, his first couple of starts, he will not be used as a regular starter. He will not be on a regular starter workload. I think the max innings he'll be able to throw on Thursday would be three. Um, They're looking for around 55 pitches. That's obviously not a starting pitcher workload. But they're going to build him up through the early parts of the season, similar to how you see starters stretched out during spring training. So he'll go three-ish innings on Thursday night. He'll respond accordingly, recover. They'll have him throw his normal bullpen or side session that regular starters do. And then they'll stretch him out a little bit. If he responds well to Thursday's start, maybe he can go four to five. Maybe his pitch limit or his pitch limit increases to 70. Uh, How the Cardinals will build him up will be very similar to what you see during those weeks of spring training during normal spring training when you have the flexibility to do that. It will just come, of course, in the late weeks of April and early May. So Jordan Hicks will be a starter, but his numbers will not reflect a regular starter's workload for the at least the first couple of weeks. But the Cardinals are committed into making that transition um, smartly. Of course, this is mm-hmm. Jordan Hicks is a guy that's had a lot of injury. It's had a lot of setbacks. Um, they are committed again to him being in the starter's role, but the numbers won't reflect that production early on. This is a guy who we've been excited about for years and has had some flashes of big-time success. We know that this stuff can play anywhere when he is healthy, so it would be great to see him uh, stay healthy, get healthy, and get a, a strong foothold in this Cardinals rotation because we would all love to see, I think, a nice, full, healthy season of Jordan Hicks on the mound this year. Another guy that we're looking at uh, in this rotation is Steven Matz, and I, I mean, I don't know if a guy could have two diametrically opposed starts to start a season, uh, more so than the way Matz did, gets knocked around by the Pirates of all teams in his first start seven runs in three innings and then comes back and shuts down the Brewers in Milwaukee uh, with five and two-thirds shutout just three hits he's been striking guys out 11 K's in his eight and two-thirds he's not walking anyone uh, all so far this season two great things to see from a starting pitcher what have you seen with your eyes up on uh, Steven Matz so far this year you know, I thought this about Steven Matz when the Cardinals ver- first signed him in November, and I still think it now. I think the prototype of pitcher that Steven Matz is fits perfectly with the Cardinals. He's a ground ball guy, you know, really pitches for contact. You have five gold glovers behind you that are going to make that, they're going to make routine plays look like anyone can do them, and the hard plays look just incredibly easy, right? So Steven Matz has really benefited from the ground ball rate and the great defense behind him. And of course, he's throwing the Adair Molina in the majority of his starts, which always helps any pitcher. Um, and that first start against the Pirates, Matz was cruising the first couple of innings, but developed a blood blister that he did not disclose um, to the media in the third inning, which you'll you will be able to, to kind of see how things transpired after that. It did not go well. And um, what we saw against the Brewers, I think, is much more indicative of the kind of pitcher that Steven Matz will be. You know, he's not a guy that's going to walk a lot of guys. He's probably not going to go into the seventh or eighth very long or very often, um, but he is when he's going to be, when he's starting, going to be an impactful guy that's going to keep guys off the bases, pitch for contact. He can get the strikeout. Um, but again, I think what Steven Matz brings as far as his prototype as a pitcher really complements how the Cardinals operate um, and how you know they plan to use him going forward. 
Well, you know, when we look at uh, Cardinals pitching, we're, you know, very much used to seeing Yadier Molina being the other half of that battery. Uh, I did see some reporting a little bit earlier in the season that Andrew Kisner was going to see something closer to an equal split of the catching duties. And so far, that's that's borne out to be true. He started four of the 10 games so far. Uh, should we expect to see that kind of pattern uh, going forward? And, and what are you expecting from Kisner this year? I think it's fair to expect that kind of pattern uh, going forward, especially early on. I mean, like let this Yadier Molina is 39 years old, played the most grueling position um, in baseball, and he reported to spring later than the Cardinals would have wanted. So now it's about resting Molina and making sure that he's not going, you're getting too much too quickly um, and kind of saving him for the long haul of the season while also incorporating Kisner. Because remember, this is going to be Yadier Molina's final game in MLB or final season in MLB, I should say. And kind of bringing Kisner in into the routine and establishing that trust and rapport with the pitching staff, which Kisner's done a remarkable job in doing. So I do think especially these, these, I don't know, first couple months of the season, you'll see more Andrew Kisner. You'll probably see close to 50-50 or 60-40 split. Um, if you are a Cardinals fan and looking for Yadier Molina to start a game, I would recommend picking an Adam Wainwright start. Those seems to be the only constant starts that you can pen him in and, and getting. Um, but for Kisner, I think you're going to see uh, – a lot of things that don't necessarily measure up in a fantasy standpoint. I mean, he's great with sequencing. He's great at pitch calling. He's very convicted in his job. Cardinals would like to see him a little bit more offensively. Uh, I mean, last year, I don't think it's really fair to kind of see those numbers. I don't think they're indicative of who he are as an offensive or who he is as an offensive player. Um, it's very hard to be successful at the plate when you are regulated to pitch hit appearances and starting a game once every three weeks, because up until the season, Yadier Molina never really took a game off. So, for Kisner, I think what the Cardinals are really focusing on from that offensive perspective is consistent playing time, getting the ball off the ground, hitting a little bit more of a, a loft percentage, and, and just hitting the ball hard. That's really what the Cardinals' hitting philosophy is, and it sounds simple when you say it like that. Like, how can a major league philosophy be hit the ball hard? But that's really the approach that these guys are going into at the plate. It's pitch selection, find a pitch they like, and drive it to the gap. And, I mean, you've seen some early power numbers from Kisner, and the hope is he can build off of those. One more question here for you, Katie. Giovanni Gallegos, uh, one of the best seasons uh, in a Cardinals uniform last season. Anyone on the roster, pitcher, hitter, whoever, Gallegos was just unbelievable in every role that the Cardinals threw him in last season. And still, Ole Marmel wasn't quite ready to say, yes, no doubt about it, he is our closer through the spring. I feel like, I'm, and maybe I've missed, I feel like we haven't actually heard those words literally from Marmel yet in the first couple of weeks of the season. But Gallegos has all three of these team saves. Is he effectively locked in in the ninth inning for this team. You're right. We haven't heard Ollie Marmel say that. In fact, we've heard that he might go to the high leverage spot in the uh -huh. seventh, and that's where they'll use their best pitcher. Um, but it has just event honestly come down to the ninth inning being those biggest high leverage spots. So Giovanni Gallegos has gotten the call. I do think if you're looking to name one pitcher on the in the bullpen as the closer, it's Gallegos. I mean, he had quietly one of the best seasons for the Cardinals last season, as you mentioned. Um, and he's pretty convicted in his ability to pitch the ninth. That's why Ollie has gone to him so many times. Um, but I do think that there'll be times where you see someone that's not Giovanni Gallegos coming into the ninth and kind of just how the matchups play out, how the splits play out. Um, you know, Ali has gone into great detail uh, in many times after post games on why he went with a, sp a specific reliever at a specific time. Do I think that Giovanni Gagos will get most of the reps in the ninth inning? Of course, I don't think you can lock him in as the 
absolute standard ninth inning closer for this Cardinals team because I don't think they're going to actually have one. But I do think, again, that Gallegos will get the majority of those appearances. Whatever Giovanni Gallegos is, total closer, mostly closer, high leverage guy, some combination thereof, obviously a very valuable guy to this team and to all of us in the fantasy baseball world. Also very valuable to have our beat writers on this show. Katie Wu from St. Louis. Katie, thanks again for joining us on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we head from St. Louis to Oakland where Steve Berman, A's beat writer, joins us now. Steve, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, we were joking a little bit before we got going. Not a lot of people uh, too into the A's right now. People out in your neck of the woods, of course, a little bit more into, I don't know, maybe a Warriors 2-0 lead over the Nuggets, things like that, a good team across the Bay. But we're going to talk about the Oakland A's here to uh, get things rolling on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Pod. Anyone, is anyone out there claiming to have foreseen this great start from Paul Blackburn coming? Nobody, no, no one. Uh, I think after last year, I think the probably the ceiling it seemed like was back of the rotation starter, and what seemed more likely was either long man that occasionally starts or just career journeyman guy who goes up and down for the minors. So yeah, he has a he has a slider or I guess a curveball this year that it didn't seem to have last year, and he also has a little bit more life on his fastball. So yeah, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. He and Dalton Jeffries have definitely been the two biggest pleasant surprises in the rotation for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, we certainly didn't see the uh, the starts that uh, Jeffries and Blackburn uh, are, have, have made so far. So it sort of configures this rotation a little bit differently because you, you go back a week or two ago and it looked like Cole Irvin had a very safe job here uh, just by comparison. But uh, it's been a little bit, ru- little bit rough for him, a little bit rough for Adam Aller. So... Uh, could we possibly be seeing some new faces in the athletics rotation in the, the weeks to come? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think this year you're going to see some roster churn, just the way that this team's pretty much always operated, but especially now with the transition stuff. I think Irvin is still safe. He's a guy who's going to eat innings, and they need that because even though the bullpen, I think, has performed far probably above expectations, still pretty unproven, and you don't want to get those guys to a situation where they've run into a stretch where they have a bunch of games in a row where they have to pitch like four or five plus innings. And Cole Irvin is a guy who's a pitch to contact guy, never going to wow you, never going to strike a bunch of people out. But he also is very efficient and is a guy that the A's like. And I think he's I think he's safe. I mean, he's 
He was the number two starter for a reason, and he hasn't been horrible. He's pretty much pitched how you'd expect. Aller, on the other hand, is a guy that they acquired in the Chris Bassett trade, and they were just hoping, hey, this guy's major league ready at this point. Maybe he can give us something. He looks pretty bad so far, to be honest. I mean, it's only been two starts, and he's a guy who's, you know, just debuting. And so probably he looked pretty nervous in his first start. Still not very effective in the second one. But, you know, still he's going up against pretty good competition in those first two starts. So we'll see. But I think, yeah, he's a guy who could probably get sent back down to the minors. Um, I don't really know if they have a whole lot of guys back there that fancy baseball players are going to be thinking, oh, okay, this guy's going to go in the rotation unless you are in the deepest of deep American League only leagues. <laughs> uh, I think the one interesting thing that is maybe something we could check on is the AJ Puck factor, mm-hmm. uh, both as a starter potentially and as a reliever. They've stretched him out to a couple innings this year already. He's a guy that they thought was going to be in the top of the rotation with Jesus Lazardo for years. And obviously Lazardo got traded for Starling Marte. Uh, and he was pretty disappointing last season for the A's before he got dealt. Puck has dealt with a variety of arm issues that have made him a bullpen guy exclusively. But I think the A's still hold out a little hope that he can potentially be a rotation guy at some point. And then if not too, Lou Trevino hasn't really looked that sharp either. And maybe potentially AJ Puck, he definitely has the stuff to do it could maybe get some save opportunities at some point this year too. Let's move over to some of the hitters here. Christian Pache, not the greatest start to the season. A 205 batting average, a 205 OBP, has yet to take a walk this season. <laughs> Would like to see him have a little bit more on-base skills, but yeah, still 23 years old, obviously was you know a key guy for them to go out and get and give some playing time to. We know the glove is going to play uh, regardless of what he's doing at the plate. And what does this guy need to do to get himself maybe moved up the batting order a little bit into a spot that would be a little bit more lucrative from a fantasy perspective? Well, I think you mentioned the walks. I mean, he doesn't walk at all. He's very aggressive. The good sign, though, is that not only is he just incredible in the outfield, his outs above average is in the 99th percentile in all of baseball. And he does, he, I mean, even though it's an unfair comparison, he does look like Andrew Jones to the point where Mark Kotze, the A's manager, even made that comparison. He just, you can't not watch him play and not remember the way Andrew Jones used to patrol around, glide around center and play with that kind of flair. Offensively, though, that's what we care about in fantasy. I, I think that the good thing that we've seen is his batted ball skills have been, at least power-wise, have shown some real potential. So, I mean, he's a guy who's his barrel rate is actually 76 percentile in all of baseball. His barrel percentage, 72%. And is expected batting average 60th percentile and expected slugging 56th percentile. So I think I was saying percentage before. Um, so that tells you that what I've seen just watching him, when he hits the ball, he hits it hard. The one thing that he's going to need to work on perhaps is elevating the ball. And so, because he has the power easily to be a 20, 25 home run guy if he gets regular playing time. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy who gets much higher than a 300 on base percentage. So kind of depends on your fancy league. Some leagues are only at batting average and, and then, you know, home runs and slugging. I'm in also leagues where, you know, OBP is in the mix and number of walks are in the mix as well. He's not really that good for those leagues, at least at this point in his career. But if you're in a traditional league and you see him start to get hot midway through the season or even earlier, I, I wouldn't, and especially if it's a deep league, it's probably not a bad idea to pick him up because he's a guy who has incredible athletic tools. And if he figures it out, then he can actually be a pretty good power guy. 
Yeah, uh, that is really encouraging. And I'm actually looking at the lineup right now uh, for the A's game here on Thursday afternoon against the Orioles. And Pache has been bumped up to eighth in the lineup. So uh, little progress where you can take it. But the, the player who's bumped him up there batting ninth is Nick Allen, who was recently recalled. And I know that the A's are really shorthanded right now, but when they get the full complement back, do you think that there's a role for Nick Allen uh, to play somewhat regularly, started now two of the last three? Or do you see him going back down uh, for a little while? I would imagine at this point he's probably going to be an up-and-down guy, at least for a little bit. I think the A's still, even though he's shown a lot of growth over the last year with his with his hitting, Still want to see maybe would probably like to get him some regular at bats in AAA first and and see him not just improve on the Kotze recently when he got called the day he got called up said they really liked what they saw in spring training he went six for twelve in spring training obviously super small sample but uh, he was hitting pretty well in Vegas hitting about three hundred not super not a lot of power in a league where power comes pretty easily but it's also early in the season. So, yeah, I think he's a guy who is is going to get a lot of playing time this year with the big club just because they they need help at second base. They, you know, Elvis Andrews had a nice little start, but Elvis Andrews is obviously on the tail end of his career. And who knows? I mean, he could be a guy who's sort of like, you know, sort of a throw in to help for salary reasons when the A's trade Frankie Montas, because it's probably not an if question, it's a when. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think the A's would either want to get a huge prospect haul. That'd probably be number one, but they care so much about payroll. And the top two guys in terms of salary on the team right now are Andrews and Steven Piscotty. If another team would take one of those guys uh, for Montas, just to, and then maybe not have such a sweet prospect haul, the A's might consider that if John Fisher, the owner, says that's what they want to do. So long story short, Nick Allen, I think, is going to get opportunities. Offensively, not a guy that you're going to really want to rest your hopes on fantasy-wise. But again, in really deep leagues, maybe a guy who could come in and if he kind of figures it out as he gets going, gives you at least maybe a little higher average than some shortstops out there. Yeah, volume of playing time, always something that we look for in the fantasy world, especially in those deeper leagues that you reference. And that was something Kevin Smith was getting before hitting the IL with that bone bruise, started nine games of the 11 he played before he went on the IL. Should we expect that sort of playing time for him once he does return? Yeah, I think really right now they don't really have a regular third baseman. I think Chad Pinder can play third, but he's on the IL himself right now. So, uh, yeah, I I think they want to see if Kevin Smith can give him something throughout the entire season. They're going to give him a lot of opportunities. He, I mean, he couldn't hit at all in the first you know week of the season, and they kept throwing him out there. So that told me that they're hoping that he's going to figure it out. His defense is actually pretty outstanding. I mean, it's not Matt Chapman, but it's not bad. He's already made some highlight plays. So I think he's a guy that is going to – I think they like his offensive tools. I'm not sure if we're going to see a whole lot actually arise from that this season. But, you know, like a lot of the things with the A's this year, everything's been sort of difficult to predict. I don't think many people would have predicted that they'd be seven and six right now. 21 homers and 410 plate appearances with an 11% walk rate and just shy of a 24% K rate at the AAA level with Toronto in 2021 for Kevin Smith. So certainly some hope that some things could be put together with the right amount of playing time for him there. That's Steve Berman out in Oakland covering the A's for us here at The Athletic. Steve, thanks so much for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Appreciate it. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, with those beat writer talks behind us, Al and I are going to turn our attention to a handful of players who uh, have caught our attention early on in this MLB season, four of whom are very high performing, one of whom is sort of strangely performing. We're going to just talk (laughs) buy, sell, hold on these guys here. So, Al, let's jump in. Let's actually start out with Anthony Rizzo, who has four homers in the early going this season. Hitting the ball hard, you found something interesting about Anthony Rizzo uh, that suggests maybe a downturn is coming. Maybe this is a time to sell out while you can on Anthony Rizzo. I I think it is. So I I think Rizzo presents us with a really interesting, um, you know, buy or sell conundrum here because you could look at this and, you know, see that Rizzo is, you know, somebody who's got a a few uh, 30 home run seasons under his belt as a member of the Cubs, but his last one was in 2017. Um, He, his barrel rates have been really steady. His exit velocity on flies and liners has been really steady and he's just, blowing all those stats out of the water in the first two weeks of this season. He's got a barrel rate of uh, almost 19%. And I I came across this, uh, Michael, and I tweeted this out. So I'm just going to read the tweet verbatim here. Anthony Rizzo is currently averaging 100.6 miles an hour in exit velocity on flies and liners. And so he trails only Giancarlo Stanton, who's kind of a perennial leader in that category. Rizzo's previous career high, now, remember, it's currently 100.6 miles an hour. His previous uh, career high, 94.4. And typically, he's averaging in like the 93 range, mm-hmm. roughly. So he's just hitting the ball so much harder than he normally has. And if this was somebody who was in his second or third season, I'd probably be a lot more excited. Sure. But we, the one thing that we've talked about with Anthony Rizzo, I mean, not just in terms of power, but like, all the stats, all the indicators is like, he's so darn predictable. He's so consistent. So when I see this kind of departure from Anthony Rizzo, I, I'm just thinking sell. Like if you've got mm-hmm. him and you've got somebody in your league who's really excited about this start for Rizzo, I think you, you at least talk a little trade and, and see what you can get in return. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah, you know, it's a good point because of the where he is in his career, because of the consistency um, of of numbers that he's had. Even when he was at his peak, right, he was still like the same guy. I mean, he's not. Yeah. We we don't expect him to reach those numbers anymore. But I mean, he was he was just like two eighty four hundred thirty thirty homers, hundred RBI forever. I mean, that was just the guy he was for the Cubs when they were making their runs to the World Series in the NLCS, and he's not that guy anymore, but he has been always a guy who you could set your watch by. And so to see some 
big outlier number for him early in the season. It's certainly descriptive in terms of what he's been able to do with the four homers, but maybe something that doesn't quite keep up for him. Something to think about as you are sizing up Anthony Rizzo's first couple of weeks of the season. Let's talk about the team he left behind. Seiya Suzuki off to just a ridiculous start to his Major League Baseball career. Taking walks, four homers of his own on the season. First player since 1906 to go 400, 500, 900 in the first 10 games of his career. Just an absolutely great start. Everything the Cubs could have possibly hoped for and then some over the first couple weeks of the season. And this is a guy, Al, that like, if it's me, we talk all the time about buy buy low and sell high, but there are times where you can buy high and get just that same production or even more. And Seiya Suzuki is a guy who I think we should be treating already with what we've seen this season with the early returns as like a top 25 hitter. I am totally, totally buying what we've seen thus far. I am too, pretty much. So yeah, we're not going to have any disagreement here either. Um, just, you know, and we don't, we don't have the major league track record, obviously to fall back on like we do with Anthony Rizzo. But when you just have across the board skill indicators that are so off the charts and you know regression's coming, but he's been so incredibly good for two weeks that you figure, okay, when he comes back down to earth, it's not going to be a crash. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think there's any selling high here with Seiya Suzuki at all. I mean, I'm saying I would like buy high. If someone, if someone thought they were selling high, by treating him as like a top 25 hitter, I I would be willing to be the person paying that price to get Suzuki because, I mean, everything that we heard about him coming out of Japan, he has showed us in the majors. And we know there's going to be an adjustment. Like, the team, their team, they're going to get a book in them. They're going to get some video. There's going to be an adjustment. There's going to be a rough patch. That obviously is coming. But everything we heard about him, he has shown us immediately in the majors. And so I don't see why we shouldn't assume that he's not going to be able to adjust to the adjustments. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's not like you look at the numbers uh, from, from Japan and, and you just think, okay, well, <laughs> you know, this is fluky. I mean, right. you knew you were getting a good player. Mm-hmm. You just didn't know you were getting maybe this good of a player. Yeah. And so just, I mean, what a, what a absolute boon to the Cubs to have landed him and boon to the fantasy managers who bought in on him uh, where his draft stock was just a few short weeks ago because it would be a whole lot higher if we were drafting from scratch right now. How about his teammate Kyle Hendricks uh, off to a strange start to this uh, 2022 season. His first outing of the year against the Brewers, yeah, the numbers looked good, but the performance itself didn't look exactly like you would expect. Then he gets knocked around in his second start. Third start sort of muddles through four and a third. He's striking guys out. That's really the only thing he's doing well from a fantasy perspective, Alan. For me, this just continues a trend that we've seen from Kyle Hendricks over these last few years where he's really a middle-of-the-rotation guy at best in real life and sort of a middling guy in fantasy, too. Yeah, I, I'm very confused uh, by Kyle Hendricks after these first uh, first few starts from him, because like you say, he's striking guys out. He's getting whiffs. And yes, I mean, any pitcher, whether it's Kyle Hendricks or, or anybody else, um, can run off a three-start stretch where they just don't look like themselves, uh, either mm-hmm. to the eye test or statistically. But a 14.3% whiff rate through three starts, his career high over a season is 11.6%. Um, and then on the flip side, he's somebody who's always been really stingy with walks, has been able to get 
batters to chase pitches and, and just deceive batters. He's got a really poor chase rate so far, 26.4%. So it, this is like Bizarro Hendricks. And I don't know if we can or should trust it. And if we do trust it, you know, do we like, do we like this version that strikes guys out? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any action here, whether you roster Hendricks or not, but I think that he's going to be a pitcher to really watch these next couple of starts really closely and see if the pattern follows, because if there's good peripherals, but maybe the, the results don't meet up with them, I think he could be a great buy low candidate. Oh, okay. So we're on opposite ends here. Like I'm just, as a very close Kyle Hendricks watcher for his whole major league career, I just, I don't love the way I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Like this is, you know, Kyle Hendricks is a guy who in his best days always did things you know, differently from the way we see typical major league pitchers go about their business these days. And so for me, his success is it's almost prescriptive in how it has to come to feel good about it. And it's just, it's not coming in that way. And so I feel like this, these early season numbers are buoyed by a path to success. That's not going to be available to him the entire season. And so that's what I'm worried about with Hendricks is that what he's good at, he's not doing well. And what he has been doing well he's not really good at, and we don't have reason to believe he should be good at for an entire season. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just, I'm just intrigued because uh, yeah. if he does continue to get these whiffs, yeah, I think there's good reason for suspicion. But I think maybe if you can prime away from somebody uh, without giving up too much, that yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. Well, interested, we both are for sure. How about Sean Manaya, who has 19 strikeouts in 19 innings this season? And it's not like this has been one big strikeout performance and then a couple of whatever performances. Seven innings, seven Ks in his first start. Six innings, six Ks in starts two and three. So a strikeout per inning exactly in each of his starts. A 13.1% whiff rate. That is up from the 12.3 career high that he had last year. A 20. 6.8% K rate on the season. That's also up a full percentage point from a season ago and just shy of the career high he had in 2019. Are we buying Sean Manaya strikeout pitcher the way we've seen through three starts this year? I I have to say not entirely, no. And I, I want to say yes because he took a step forward in that regard in 2021, but mm-hmm. so far the velocity isn't what it was. And, and maybe I'm making too much out of that because um, that's not abnormal for April. But um, yeah, I, because he has been up and down as a strikeout pitcher, uh, I'm not sure that I'm buying it just because it's what he did last year. So he's certainly doing a lot of things really well mm-hmm. um, so that if I were rostering Minaya, I, I wouldn't be looking to to sell high here. But I also don't think, uh, to, to borrow your term from earlier, I also don't think I'm confident enough that I'm also you know wanting to buy high uh, on Manaya if his uh, manager is also very skeptical. Yeah, I, I understand that. 90% strand rate just shy of so far this season. So that's something you would obviously expect to course correct. Not giving up any homers. And he's been a guy who's been pretty consistently right around that 12.4% home run per fly ball ratio mark every year of his career. You know, a, a half a standard deviation that way, a half a standard deviation the other way, but pretty much right in that 12.4% range this year, down at 5.3%. That is something that we're seeing across the majors, though. It's just a much lower home run rate, and we're getting to the stabilization point of that also. So that'll be something that's interesting to watch, and maybe a guy like Manaya who can take advantage of you know, moving to San Diego, getting a lower fly, getting a, a lower um, home run rate. You know, maybe that's something that ultimately 
plays to his advantage this season. I think I'm with you. Um, happy with the start that Mania has given me if I have him. Don't feel dramatically different about him, good, bad, or otherwise, or after these first uh, three starts that he's had. If I liked him three weeks ago, I still like him. If I was out on him at his ADP three weeks ago, I'm probably not dramatically changing what I thought just because of a strong start to the season that we've seen from Sean Manaya. One more guy to talk about before we call this a show, and that is Brandon Belt, another you know, left-handed hitting first baseman who has four home runs, just like the guy we started this with, Anthony Rizzo. And Belt is doing really everything for the uh, for the Giants. Hitting 282, he he's got a 404 OBP, so batting average leagues, OBP leagues, whatever it is, you are very happy with what you've seen from Brandon Belt. Is this a guy who you are dramatically changing your outlook for after what we've seen so far this season? I think so. I mean, I, I don't. Maybe that change for me came came this a uh, little bit earlier uh, during draft season uh, mm-hmm. because I looked at what he he's done the last couple of years, um, where the power's just been consistent for him, and that's something we hadn't seen before from Brandon Belt. It was always you know one year we'd see the power, another year we'd see batting average, and really the last two seasons. And granted, yeah, twenty twenty was not a full season. But we, we saw him put it together. But also what we did see in the, the full season of 2021 was him miss a lot of games, which has also been, uh, if not a constant, certainly something we've seen a lot from, from Brandon Belt over his yep. career is um, having trouble staying healthy. So I'm really regretting, Michael, that for as much as back in March as I talked about first base emptying out early in terms of quality options, that I did not draft Brandon Belt anywhere. When I was aware of this pattern over the last couple of seasons, I should have just taken the flyer and maybe he'll miss a bunch of games this year too. But boy, when, when you've got him in your lineup, I think you can absolutely count on him to hit with that power that we're seeing right now. Yeah, it's been like just really, really remarkable turn for Brandon Belt and that he's has become this sort of like port in a storm at first base. Uh, yeah, he really has. We, we have so we have, we have a handful of high level guys at this position. And then as you said, it emptied out fast and Belt was one of those guys who you could, you know, not have to pay an arm and a leg for and feel pretty good about having uh, on your team. I don't know if we thought this was going to be the start we were going to get from him, but I'm with you. I'm buying. I feel very good about Brandon Belt. I mean, yeah, I, every player has some sort of baseline injury risk. Brandon Belt obviously brings higher than the baseline injury risk based on age and just uh, track record. But I think this is a guy who you, you should feel, yeah, maybe if you're already worried about what you're doing at first base, like Brandon Belt is a guy who I would feel comfortable for paying like draft day ADP plus five to ten percent for if he were available in my leagues, because uh, this is this is this is impressive what he's doing yet again at the early going for this season. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you there, and I'm actually going back to look at the ADP and NFBC drafts. He had an ADP of two thirty, so really just barely getting drafted mm-hmm. in twelve team leagues, That's crazy. and going on on average fifty spots later than the aforementioned Anthony Rizzo. There you go, there you go, and now he is uh, one of the top first basemen going so far this season. Again, you love to see that he's doing a little bit of everything in terms of having that 282 batting average and the 404 OBP to go with the four homers. So he's really doing everything. It's not a guy who's just, you know, it's not Oscar Mercado with uh, three homers to start the season, but an OBP under 200. Like he's doing a little bit of everything that you want to see from a well-rounded hitter. And so that should have you feeling pretty good about where Brandon Belt is at the start of this season. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks so much to all of you out there for listening to this episode. And a big thanks also to the beat writers who joined us as well. Katie Wu covers the Cardinals. Steve Berman covers the A's. Thank you so much to our Athletic Beat writers. You're only going to get that here, folks. A lot of good fantasy baseball podcasts out there, but this is going to be the only one that can bring you that on-the-ground knowledge from the beat writers who watch these teams and these players day in and day out. And we'll be doing that with you uh, as many Thursdays as we possibly can throughout this 2022 season. For Al Melchior, I'm Michael Beller. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be talking to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.